الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome back to Misk Women's The Beginning of Guidance our podcast series focusing on textual competence. My name is Um Abdullah and I'm very happy to welcome you back to another fascinating episode from the great Imam Ghazali's book of Taqwa. Inshallah, let's get started with our dua for seeking knowledge. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. اللهم إني نويت تعلم والتعليم والتذكر والتذكير والنفع والانتفاع والإفادة والاستفادة والحث على تمسك بكتاب الله وسنة رسوله والدعاء إلى الهدى والدلالة على الخير ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وقربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. All praise is for Allah, the Lord of the worlds. I intend to learn and teach, to remember and remind, to benefit myself and to benefit others, to derive usefulness and extend it to others, to encourage adherence to the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to call to guidance and direct towards good, seeking thereby the countenance of Allah, His divine pleasure, closeness and His reward, the most exalted and high. Amen. Of course, you are welcome to visit us at Instagram, at our page there, Misk Women, and also come over to our private women's Facebook page, Misk Women Halaka. Inshallah, I hope to see you there. Today, inshallah, we will be reading the chapter on the etiquette of sleep, Adab Nom. And as we mentioned, this book, the Bidayatul Hidayah, the beginning of guidance, is really a book of taqwa. It's a book that teaches us how to begin with the external actions, with how we act, with how we present ourselves, with how we conduct ourselves during our day, what do we actually do. And by manifesting all that is good and positive on our exterior, inshallah, we begin to train our heart, we begin to train our inner state, and inshallah, that is the path of guidance. This chapter on the etiquettes of sleep is very significant and there are many amazing jewels of knowledge in this chapter which our commentator Al-Jawi, may Allah have mercy on him, has extracted mostly from the Ihya Ulum al-Din, Imam al-Ghazali's magnum opus, and included here for us to benefit from. So inshallah we will be able to really see how at this very last part of our day when we prepare to sleep, and inshallah, wake up for a new day and go back to where we began at the very beginning. How all these actions and the way that we choose to spend our time and what we do in our daily life, how it all comes together and is a complete package of guidance and tawajjuh or orientation towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's what we're looking for that's what it's all about how do we spend every moment how do we spend every breath in the best possible way seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in everything that we do and seeking that through love and hope and fear and it might be that someone thinks well what's fear got to do with it isn't that just this whole element of punishment and no it's not at all of course we fear that because we we fear 
that our deeds will not be accepted and we fear that they might be tinged or spoilt somehow with ostentation or with a lack of sincerity or with some lowly desire for this dunya and worldly life which might fool us into thinking that somehow we're doing good and we're not and we fear that Allah won't be pleased with us. But really that's the state of a lover. That's the state of someone who loves someone so much that they fear displeasing them. They fear that they will somehow not gain the contentment of the one that they loved, of the object of their love. And in our case, the object of our love is Allah. And the whole path, the whole reason why the Prophet ﷺ was sent to us was to show us that path of love and to show us how to love our object of worship, how to love the one that we are seeking, how to love the only one that exists in reality for all our existence is contingent upon his and if it wasn't for him subhanahu wa ta'ala we wouldn't be here. So how do we show that? How do we manifest that? And this book the Bidaya Till He Die is very significant because it shows us and it spells out for us in the most simple way how to manifest that love in our outer form so inshallah it will begin to change and shape and cultivate the heart and at the same time the heart is being purified from the inside through the performance of these deeds that conform with the sunnah of the prophet so there's this synthesis between the external and the internal all the time and the stronger one becomes the more it strengthens the other and so through doing purposeful acts inshallah we strengthen not just our performance of things but we strengthen the state of heart and the intention which really drives that performance and inshallah we ask Allah for taqwa for consciousness and for fear of him in everything that we do externally and internally and we praise him and thank him for sending us our scholars and those who are able to interpret for us the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and who are able to guide us to that which he ﷺ came with in the best of ways. So may Allah raise the rank of Imam Ghazali higher and higher and higher for every single aspect of what he's taught us that we're able to apply and act on in the best of ways and may Allah accept from us all inshallah. Okay, let's start with the etiquette of sleep. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Imam Ghazali says, May we benefit from him in the two abodes. Amin. Adabu nom. Fa'idha aradta noma. Fabsut firashaka mustakbil al qibla. Wanam ala yaminika kama yudjaul mayitu fi lahtihi. Wa'lam anna noma mithlul mot. Wali yakadata mithlul bathi. وَلَعَلَّ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى يَقْبِدُ رُوحَكَ فِي لَيْلَتِكَ فَكُنْ مُسْتَعِدًّا لِلِقَائِهِ بِأَنْ تَنَامَ عَلَى طَهَارَةٍ وَتَكُونَ وَسِيَّتُكَ مَكْتُوبَةً تَحْتَ وِسَادَتِكَ وَتَنَامَ تَائِبًا عَنِ الدُّنُوبِ مُسْتَغْفِرًا عَازِمًا عَلَى أَنْ لَا تَعُودَ إِلَى الْمَعْصِيَةٍ أَبَدًا وعزم على الخير لجميع الناس إن بعثك الله عز وجل وتذكر أنك ستوجع في القبر كذلك وحيدا فريدا ليس معك إلا عملك ولا تجزى إلا بسعيك When you wish to sleep, spread out your mattress facing the Qibla and lie on your right side as the dead one does in his grave. 
know that sleep is like death and waking is like resurrection. It may be that Allah Most High will take your soul by night, so be ready to meet him by sleeping in a state of purity, your will written and placed beneath your pillow in a state of repentance over sins, begging forgiveness, decisive about never disobeying Allah Almighty again. You must resolve to do good to all people if Allah Almighty Most Majestic should allow you to rise again. Remember that you will be put in the grave this way, all alone, with nothing but your deeds, and you will be rewarded only for your endeavours. Our commentator Imam Ujawi mentions that there are actually eight adab, or eight etiquettes, which Imam Ghazali has put down here for us to learn. And he says that the first one about laying out your bed and facing the qibla has two parts. The first part of it is that when you shake your bed, what you're actually doing is checking for scorpions or ants or any creatures that may have crept in it during the daytime or the time in which you are absent from your bed. So the sunnah is that when you approach your bed to lie down, that you pick up your mattress and your bedding and make sure that there is nothing inside. Al-Imam Ujawi says that this is the first of the etiquettes and that there are actually two ways in which a person should lie down and prepare for sleep. There are two ways of actually facing the Qibla. The first, he says, is that a person lies down like a dying person would lie on their deathbed and that is lying on their back with the soles of their feet and their face actually facing in the direction of the Qibla, of the direction of prayer. And he says this is permissible for men and disliked for women. And then the second way is, as Imam Ghazali has mentioned, which is to lie on your right side, the way in which the body is placed into the grave. And he also says that lying on your face, so if you lie on your stomach face down, that this is the sleep of the devils and it's disliked. And it's particularly disliked for women to lie like that as well. And you lie on your right side. He also mentions that it's known from doctors that it's preferable to lie on the left side for the sake of digestion, but it's better to lie on the right side for the sake of the heart so that the heart is able to beat well and that there is no pressure on it because of lying on the left side where the heart is. So the thing is that if you find, for example, that you actually sleep better on your left side or that you sleep better on your back, in order to fulfill the sunnah of lying on the right-hand side, it's recommended that when you get into bed, that you lie even for a moment on your right-hand side to fulfill that sunnah and then move around and change however you're comfortable. The second etiquette is to know that sleep is like death. And that being awake is like the resurrection. Because it might be, as Imam Ghazali mentions, that your soul will be taken during the night. So be prepared for that. So the second etiquette is to know that and have that in your heart. That this sleep is one that you may not awake from. The third etiquette is to sleep with tahara. Is to sleep in a state of wudu. And there are many hadith on the benefits of this, of a person who prepares themselves fully for their going to sleep and for that state of unconsciousness which is close to a state of death. So if a person were to have their soul taken, then they would be taken in a state of purification. This is something that is highly recommended. Now, the first thing that will come to the mind of anyone who follows the Shafi Madhab is, well, hang on a minute, 
a husband and wife, if they touch each other, accidentally or intentionally, it breaks their wudu. So how do I, as a woman, married woman in the Shafi Madhab, how do I go to bed in a state of wudu, of purification, and there's my husband? So do I go to bed in a straitjacket? No, you don't go to bed in a straitjacket. What you need to do is take wudu before you go to bed so that you have in your heart that you are sleeping on a state of purification and tahara. And then if it is that you get into bed and within the first two seconds you find a hairy toe brush across your ankle and you think, oh man, there goes my wudu, that's not a problem at all. Because you went to bed with the intention of being on wudu. And so we know that a person's deeds are according to their intention. And of course, it's far more important for a woman to be in a state that is pleasing to her husband when she goes to bed. Perhaps he has a need to be fulfilled. Perhaps your need needs to be fulfilled. And so it shouldn't ever be that something like going to sleep in a state of purification should come between that. That's not the intention at all. So that's why you shouldn't go to bed all dressed up thinking that, oh no, I have to sleep. I have to actually fall asleep in a state of purification. That's not the case. As we said, it all comes down to intention. The fourth etiquette is to sleep with your wasiya which is your will written and under your pillow. Now, this is the will which is not what is compulsory to be distributed from your estate after your death. This is your will where you are able to determine up to a third of the value of your estate what you would like to have done with it. So this is uh, goods or money or otherwise that would go to people who do not inherit from you because of their relationship to you. So this would be for certain aspects of your wealth that would go to friends or organizations or other people in the family that is above and beyond what is compulsory to be distributed. And it is said that a person who goes to sleep without having this will written will not speak the time that they are in the barzakh, in the intermediary realm. And it is said that the souls actually visit each other in that realm. And that's the souls that you will see if you see people in your dream when you're here in the dunya. But when you pass on, inshallah, you will be able to go and visit people in that state. Then some of the people will look at others who are unable to speak and they'll say, what happened to this miskin? What happened to this poor thing? And they'll say, oh, he died without having a wasiya, without having his will written. Now, there's some debate as to what type of state in which a person died and they were in that they didn't have their will. And it is said that it would be, for example, if a person swore an oath that they would write a will and made that compulsory on themselves to do that, and then they passed away without having done that, the nathat. So there is some discussion on that, but the counsel to prepare for yourself a will is so strong that everybody should do it anyway because we never know what's going to happen and we should have our belongings and our wealth ready to be distributed after we pass away in the best manner, inshallah. The fifth etiquette is to sleep in a state of repentance from your deeds and seeking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are four conditions of tawbah, of repentance, and they are that the person should regret the act that they've committed. They should have a strong conviction to not do it again. They should also never do it again to the extent possible. 
and if there are goods or items or anything that should be returned to those who have had wrong done to them, then they should be returned if at all possible. The section on repentance is very big and inshallah we won't go into it here because it will come up later but that's the general conditions. The second part of being repentant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also having a good heart and the resolve to do good to all people. And there's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever retires to his bed and does not intend any wrongdoing to anyone, nor to belittle or look down upon anyone, then he will be forgiven of all that he committed against himself. And then Imam Ghazali says to remember that you will be put in the grave like that, meaning that you will be alone and that there will be nobody with you except the only thing that you will carry with you is your deeds and that you will not be rewarded or recompensed for good or bad except for what you have put forward for yourself and there's an ayah number 95 in surah maryam wa kulluhum atihi yawmal qiyamati farda which means that all of them will come to him, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on the day of judgment, alone, on their own. Farad means to be by yourself. It means to have nobody else with you. And it's a very, very powerful ayah. The sixth etiquette is to not prepare for yourself the type of bed that is too comfortable. And we will read that here in the text. Imam Ghazali says, Rahimahullah, وَلَا تَسْتَجْلِبِ النَّوْمَ تَكَلُّفًا بِتَمْهِيدِ الْفُرُشِ الْوَطِيئَةِ فَإِنَّ النَّوْمَ تَعْطِيلُ الْحَيَاةِ إِلَّا إِذَا كَانَتْ يَقْضَتُكَ وَبَالًا عَلَيْكَ فَنَوْمُكَ أَسْلَمُ لِدِينِكَ Don't get too comfortable. So in the commentary, Al-Imam Al-Jawi says that you shouldn't sleep unless sleep overcomes you. Or unless you need to prepare yourself for standing up later in the night for worship. And when it comes to having one of those super comfy hotel-like beds, the type of bed that you can just fall into and not know if you're ever going to wake up from because it's so comfortable or that is really, really hard to get out of, then you should try and avoid that to the extent possible. Now that can be difficult if it's cold and you have lots of blankets and you need to sleep like that. But the thing is that your bed shouldn't be a place of your ultimate and most luxurious relaxation. It should be a place that you go to to fulfill your need and that's comfortable and good for your back. And we know that this time that we live in is supremely bad for our health in terms of the sedentary lifestyle that we have and diet and lack of exercise and physical movement etc but the point is that we should get what we need and not go overboard with that imam ghazali tells us that sleep is an interruption to life unless of course you know that sleeping is better for you at any moment for the sake of protecting your deen now if you have gotten extremely angry with somebody and you think the best thing for me to do right now is to go to sleep before i make it worse for myself and them or if you have been engaging in some really inappropriate act then you think it's better for me just to cut this off and go to bed or I'm binging on Netflix it's better for me to sleep now than to sit here and watch another 10 episodes of 
whatever it is that you're watching. So in that case, you need to be wise and think, okay, I'm not tired, but it's better for me to get out of this situation. And if that protects you and your deen, then by all means, go ahead and do that. Because as Imam Ghazali tells us, we're only taking our deeds with us to the grave. And what we've put forward for ourselves is what we're going to find there. So if it's better for you to cut off from the dunya and sleep in order for your the state of your deen, then by all means, that's the best choice to make. We're also told that we need to understand that the night and the day compromise 24 hours. So do not let the total amount of your sleep for the day and night exceed 8 hours. It's quite enough for you if you live 60 years that you waste 20 of them, which is one third. So 8 hours is a third of 24. If we slept 8 hours every night, then we would have slept away a third of our lifetime. We're also counseled to prepare our miswak, or siwak is another name for it, and the water that we require for ablution. Some of the practices of the miswak are, as we have uh, mentioned before, to use it before sleeping and at any time when you wake up in the night, whether that be to get up for extra prayers, or if you are getting up to stay up and not going back to sleep, then it's a sunnah to use the miswak on your teeth and your tongue to purify them and also to have the water ready that you need for wudu and al-jawi tells us that if it is that you can't take full tahara full wudu then it's recommended that you at least wipe your face with water or your limbs and if you can't do that if you don't have the water then at least sit and face the qibla and busy yourself with dhikr and dua and thinking about all the gifts and bounties of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and of his power and majesty. Also part of that etiquette is to uh, go to sleep with a strong resolve to wake up in the night and to pray. If not in the middle part of the night, at least at the end part of the night before Fajr. And know that two rakahs in the middle of the night feed jawfil layl. Jawf means the middle part. So in jawfil layl is a kenzun min kunuzil bir is a treasure of the treasures of piety. So, Imam Ghazali tells us, augment your treasures for the day of your poverty. For the treasures of this world will be of no use to you when you die. The day of your poverty is Yomu Qiyama, when you're going to need every single treasure that you can get for yourself. Every scrap of gold you will be scratching around looking for and you will kick yourself and you will regret so much. Oh, why didn't I get up in the night and pray to Rakaz? Why didn't I fast those extra days? Why didn't I do all those small things that I knew I could have done but I was too busy with this or too busy with that? And that's a day of poverty. So regret is poverty. And inshallah we ask Allah to protect us from that and to enrich us constantly with the regular and devoted and loving performance of all that the Prophet ﷺ performed and all that our scholars have taught us and encouraged us over and over and over again to be mindful of and to know that these are the keys to happiness. These are the ways that we live in this life. This is how we move forward with the very best of deeds and states of heart towards our inevitable conclusion and towards our meeting with our beloved Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with our other beloved, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then the final etiquette Imam Ujawi tells us is to read the following dua and to say when you go to sleep, 
بسمك ربي وضعت جنبي وبسمك أرفعه فاغفر لي ذنبي اللهم قني عذابك يوم تبعث عبادك اللهم بسمك أحيا وأموت أعوذ بك من شر كل ذي شر ومن شر كل دابة أنت آخذ بناصيتها إن ربي على صراط مستقيم When we sleep, the last words that should come across our lips are the following. In your name, my Lord, I lay myself down, and in your name I rise up. Forgive me my sins. O Allah, save me from your punishment the day you resurrect your slaves. O Allah, in your name I live and I die, and I seek your refuge from the evil of everything that possesses evil, and from the evil of every creature whose forelock you hold. Truly, my Lord is on the right way. Imam al-Jawi tells us that this first part, there are a couple of different narrations of that. They all generally mean the same thing. If it is, however, that you have one particular book of dua and you see it's not exactly those words, but generally the meaning, then that's fine too. The second part, he says, is mostly agreed upon um, with one set of wording, although, of course, slight variations, but it's the same thing, essentially. And he says at the very beginning here, Bismika Rabbi wadatu jambi. In your name, O Allah, I lay myself down. And the ba at the beginning, Bismi, the letter, the ba, he says this is for isti'ana, which is for help. So it's not that we ourselves alone lay ourselves down. No, it's by you, Allah, by your name that I lay myself down. So it's important to remember that. Otherwise, we might think that we're free of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that time, which of course is not the case because we don't understand the world like that. Everything that we do is billahi, bismillahi rahman rahim And if you go back to our episode on the basmala, then we explain that in a bit more detail there. So I just want to point that out again because sometimes the translations don't always give across the full meaning of our faqr, of our poverty and of our need and connectedness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second part of the dua is Antal awwalu falaysa qablaka shay wa antal akhiru falaysa ba'daka shay wa antal dahiru falaysa fawqaka shay وأنت الباطن فليس دونك شيء اقضي عني الدين واغنني من الفقر اللهم أنت خلقت نفسي وأنت تتوفاها لك مماتها ومحياها إن أمتها فاغفر لها وإن أحييتها فاحفظها بما تحفظ به عبادك الصالحين اللهم إني أسألك العفو والعافية اللهم أيقذني في أحب الساعات إليك وَاسْتَعْمِلْنِي بِأَحَبِّ الْعَمَالِ إِلَيْكَ لِتُقَرِّبَنِي إِلَيْكَ زُفَّا وَتُبْعِدَنِي مِنْ سَخَتِكَ بُعْدًا أَسْأَلُكَ فَتُعْتِينِي وَأَسْتَغْفِرُكَ فَتَغْفِرَ لِي وَأَدْعُوكَ فَتَسْتَجِيبَ لِي MashaAllah, beautiful. You are the first, there is nothing before you. You are the last, there is nothing after you. You are the apparent, there is nothing above you. You are the hidden, there is nothing below you. Resolve for me my debts and enrich me beyond poverty. 
Oh Allah, you created my soul and you will cause it to die. To you belong its perishing and its living. If you cause it to die, forgive it. And if you give it life, protect it by that which you protect your pious slaves. O oh Allah, truly I ask of you pardon and well-being. Al-Afa O Allah, waken me in the hour most beloved to you and use me in the work most beloved to you so that you draw me ever closer to you and keep me always far from your wrath so that when I ask of you, you give me. When I repent to you, you forgive me. And when I call unto you, you answer me. MashaAllah, very, very complete. The meanings there are quite clear. There's just a couple of extra things to add here. And Al-Jawi's actually put in a couple of extra words which I couldn't find in any text of the Bidayat al-Hidayah nor in the Ihyalum al-Din. However, the meaning is sound and actually gives us another perspective which is a really important one because when you ask for Allah to protect you the way that he's protected his pious servants and when you say, Oh Allah, I ask of you pardon and well-being, then Imam Jawi adds here Fiddini wa dunya wal akhira in religion and in the dunya and in the akhira. And importantly, he says here as his explanation for Fiddin in the deen from Al Iftitan wa Kaidish Shaytan. So the Iftitan is like the fitna. Fitna means trials and tribulations and difficulties and calamities. And fitna is of two types as our scholars have told us. One type is shubha, which is falsehood masquerading as truth. And this comes into our deen a lot in this particular time because we see people coming up with all sorts of things and trying to pass it off and make it look Islamic, make it look like it's part of our deen, make it look like it's real and true, when in actual fact it's a falsehood, but they're making it look like truth. And the other type of fitna is the shahwa, which is desires. So we ask Allah to protect us from desiring anything in this deen which we think is going to be religious or which we think is going to bring us closer to Allah, but it's really something that comes from our lower selves and our nafs. So it's about answering to how we want this deen to be rather than accepting it as it is and trying our very best to live according to this deen the way that all those in previous generations have lived. So this is a very important point there for us. So fitna is two. Falsehood masquerading as truth and following base desires and shahwa. So remember that and we ask Allah to protect us from that and from the tricks and the traps of shaitan. And then he says, we ask Allah to protect us in our dunya and by that he means from pain and illness and to protect us from anything bad in our akhirah which would be the horrors of that day and from Jahannam, from the hellfire. Then Imam Ghazali goes on and he recommends that we read Ayatul Kursi, the verse of the throne and Aman al-Rasul which is the last two ayahs of Surah al-Baqarah. It's also mentioned that a person should read the last three. So basically that would be the last page of Surah Al-Baqarah. And if you haven't memorized that, then at least play it for yourself from your phone or wherever. 
and try and memorize it because it's very important to know that. And the reason why is because there's a hadith which says that whoever reads the last two eyes of Surah Al-Baqarah, that will be sufficient for him. That will suffice you throughout your night and inshallah protect you. And of course, Ayatul Kursi is the ayah, is the verse for protection from all evil. So if we sleep having read that for ourselves or our children, our husband or for generally everybody in the house, then inshallah we will be protected from the evil that can befall us in the night time from maybe where we don't even see it. And of course to read the last three surahs of the Quran, Surah Al-Ikhlas and Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas and to read them three times in a row and then to spit into the palm of your hands but without any spittle so it's just like a dry type of sound and then to wipe over our face and over our bodies as protection inshallah and this is a practice which is very very common and very recommended to do before sleep and do it over your children as well and inshallah that will serve as a means of protecting from the whispering of shaitan inshallah then Imam Ghazali tells us also to read some other surahs and he says to read Surah Tabarak al-Mulk uh, which we mentioned in our last episode and that's because it will be your companion in the grave. In the last episode Imam Ghazali mentioned that it should be read in the sunnah of the prayer for Isha and that in each and that you should pray for Akaz um, in for those sunnahs and two of them uh, read Surah Al-Mulk in one rakah and Surah Yasin and the other Surah Dukhan and Surah Sajda. However, if that's too much for you, then you could read Surah Al-Mulk over the four rakahs. So break it down into four parts and read that over four rakahs and inshallah you will have fulfilled the reading of the surah for your protection and also to be your companion after you pass away inshallah and then also you fulfill the performance of the four rakahs of sunnah prayer after isha imam ghazali tells us that don't let sleep overtake you with any state other than the remembrance of allah and being in a state of tahara of purification and whoever does that then his soul will be raised up to the arsh to the throne and that you will be written as a person who is in a state of prayer and worship until you wake up Al-Jawi says that the first thing that should come across your heart when you do wake up is the dhikr of Allah and that this is a sign of your love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's also a sign and it's also a sign of what is hidden in the heart or what gets revealed from the very inside of your heart from your sir and that to sleep on a state of tahara which we've already mentioned is not just a physical Thing. It's something that also means taharatul qalb, so the purification and the purity of your heart and protection from nightmares. So it's not just going to sleep with wudu, it's actually having a heart which is purified and this will protect you, inshallah, from bad dreams. Because a person might think, okay, I'm going to sleep with wudu every night but I'm still having nightmares, what's happening? What it means is that the heart and the body need to both be in a state of purification in order to ward that off. 
And of course, a very famous story of Ibn Umar, the son of Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiallahu anhum, and his name was Abdullah. And one day they were sitting with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the mosque and a man walked in. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam saw the man and he said, somebody who is a person of Jannah has just walked in. And so they turned and they looked at him. And it was an old man, just a regular type of person. And Abdullah ibn Umar, he wanted to know why. And so he went to the man and he said, can I come and stay with you for three days as a guest? Because if the Prophet ﷺ had said, this is a man of Jannah, then what was he doing? That was so special. So he stayed with the man in his house and he noticed that he only prayed what he was meant to pray five times a day, mashallah. He didn't seem to do anything extra of worship and he had a regular family and he was just a regular good, obviously a good person, but somebody who didn't seem to have any amazing thing about him that would make him look like, oh, this is a person of Jannah. And then finally when he was leaving, he said to the man, I've come here to see why it is that the Prophet wasallam told us that you were a person of Jannah and I didn't see you doing anything extraordinary. So what did he mean? And the man said to him, Oh, it's because every night when I go to sleep, I make sure that I have nothing in my heart of bad thoughts or grudges or anything detrimental in my heart towards any other Muslim. And then he knew, Ibn Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, what it meant to be a person of Jannah. It meant to be somebody whose heart was free of any ill thoughts and of any negativity towards any other person. May Allah be pleased with him and alhamdulillah for such a lesson. Then Imam Ghazali tells us, Stay on this tartib, stay on this path, this fixed path of practice that has been described. And in case you're thinking, Ya Allah, how am I going to do all these things? Know that the best of deeds are those which are little but are the most consistent. So do what you can, but do it consistently. And if it is that you have to shorten all these adhkar, these dhikrs and these du'as and things, then shorten them. Because a small amount that you can do in this time in which we live will have enormous benefits and fruits for you that will be seen. And they'll be seen quickly. And so with sincerity and with a small amount of action, then you can ascend, inshallah, to very great heights of purification and of knowing and of knowledge. You don't have to sit there 10 hours a day with a dhikr book in your hand and think, I can't move until I've done all these things. No, that's not the intention of our deen. The intention of our deen is to know what to do at the right time and to perform what you can of that according to your ability. He says, when you awake, return to the routine of the morning that I described and maintain this for the rest of your life, as we've said. And he says that, if keeping to this routine becomes difficult for you, فَإِنْ شَقَّ عَلَيْكَ الْمُدَاوَمَ فَاصْبِرْ صَبْرَ الْمَرِيضِ عَلَى مَرَارَةِ الدَّوَائِ إِنْتِظَارًا لِشِفَاءِ Be patient as a sick person is patient with the bitterness of medicine waiting for a return to health. And that's very important because that's where we come in with doing what we can and taking the means and asking Allah to benefit us through that. So dhikr and dua and all these acts of worship are remedies for the heart. And so we are patient with them and we do what we can, inshallah, knowing that the shifa, the cure, is imminent, inshallah. 
He says, reflect upon the shortness of your life and even if you were to live a hundred years in comparison with your stay in the afterlife, it is very, very little. And then he also tells us, think about how much difficulty you bear in life and the humility that you suffer for the pursuit of this world, even for a month or a year, in order to gain rest and relaxation for, say, 20 years. So look at how people struggle for 40 or 50 years working and saving and buying a house and investing and setting themselves up for the last part when they go into retirement and they need to have money to live on. Of course, everybody needs to have uh, something that they can use for their sustenance. But think about how much you struggle for that last part of your life and you don't know how long it's going to be or even the quality of that. You don't know if you'll get sick, you don't know anything. But we toil for what we see will be our good ending. So think about the little bit that we can do every day in terms of toil and struggle. And it's really only a struggle because it requires discipline. And when your nafs is trained and when your nafs knows that it has to sit and do what you need to do for dhikr, then inshallah it becomes easy and that's when the sweetness comes in. But it is difficult at the start if you're not used to it to force yourself to sit down, to force yourself to say things knowing that this is a part of your training and a part of your preparation and advancement of purification and your state with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it basically is just making you a better person. Think of how much time people spend in the gym, how much time they focus on their diet, trying to eat the right things and do the right activities and firm up the right muscles. Then what about our inner state? And that's what is being referenced here. Then Imam Ghazali says, do not lengthen your hopes. So don't dream too much. There's an expression which is tool al-amal, which means having long hopes, which is sort of a bit of a clumsy translation into English. But it means that don't be such a dreamer and such a person who's going to do this and going to do that, that you end up tiring yourself and suffering over your dunya. And in doing so, end up not working enough for your akhirah, for your afterlife. So if a person suffers over the dunya, they bring themselves a thousand times closer to Jahannam. And if a person suffers over the loss of their akhirah, then they bring themselves a thousand times closer to paradise. Why? Because if it is that you are driven by your deeds for the akhirah, then you can only bring yourself closer towards good. But if you're driven only for the sake of this dunya, and you forget about your akhirah, then you can only drive yourself closer to a state of loss and ultimate regret. One of the pious people has said that if the remembrance of death left his heart for even a moment, then he would know that his heart would become corrupted. And that's what the dunya does. So that's why we need this day after day self-discipline and teaching ourselves and the patience that's required to obey Allah and to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the way that Imam Ghazali has described for us in what we have taken so far in the book. So that's really just a summary of the last section. And Imam Ghazali says that if it is that you estimate that you will live for another 50 years and that you will have to persevere in your obedience to Allah, then your lower self will 
run away and try and make things difficult for you. So if it is that you haven't trained yourself, if it is that you haven't really set yourself a proper schedule as outlined and persist in trying to stick to that, then your lower self will distract you and you'll be taken away and you'll find so many other things to do. So it really comes down to your level of sincerity and your siddiq with Allah, how truthfully are you seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And inshallah, if your heart is set on that and you know that you need to struggle against your lower self on that path, then inshallah, that's what you need to do. Otherwise, the dunya will come and steal your time and you'll be sitting at the end of every day looking back thinking, what did I do today? If you're lucky. Otherwise, you would just think you're doing fine and everything's okay and you're doing really well, not knowing how shaitan and not knowing how the dunya and your nafs has actually eaten away and taken from you your time, which is your capital that you invest here for the sake of the profits that you will reap from it in the akhirah, inshallah, and you won't know. You won't be aware of how your time has gone and then you will find that your books are emptier than you thought they were. Your books might even be full of things that, and actions and states of heart and words that you don't want to see again. And we ask Allah to protect us from that because every single thing that we do will come past. And on the day of judgment, our lives will flash past us like a movie and we will see everything. And we ask Allah to make sure for us on that day, inshallah, that we don't see anything that will displease us then. Just as we don't want to see anything or do anything that will bring upon us any grief in this dunya before we go to the akhirah. In conclusion... Imam Ghazali says, okay, so we have guided you in how to organize your regular duties of worship. And now he will go on towards the end of this first section of the book, which is mentioning the method of prayer and fasting and also how to lead the prayer and follow the prayer and the Friday prayer. So that's the five sections we have left at the end of this First part on acts of obedience. So we're coming up to having finished a third of the book already, inshallah. We ask Allah for tawfiq. We ask Allah to accept our deeds, to purify us and to make us conscious and clear about what we are doing every moment of the day. And that is taqwa. And we ask Allah to accept from us, to protect us, to remedy us of our ills inwardly and outwardly and to forgive the Muslims those of us who are here, those of us who are passed on, we ask Allah to cure our sick and we ask Allah to make us people who are pleasing to him. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk inshallah i look forward to our next episode and the gems that we will get then inshallah assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh